Welcome to Startups Ignited. This is an interview series podcast with inspiring entrepreneurs in the international community who have turned their business dreams into reality. This space is to give a shout out to those crazy entrepreneurs by sharing their ideas and motivating the aspiring entrepreneurs with these extraordinary stories. So welcome, Mario. Uh, thank you for joining us to um, Startups Ignited podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, it, it was great to be here. Um, so let's start and please tell us a little bit about you. Like, who is Mario and what happened and how you were from Mexico to Korea? Well, uh, the short story of coming to Korea is that I first came here to do research in astrophysics. Wow. Uh, I used to be a scientist. I would argue, and if you look at my LinkedIn profile, I still am, because science is not a job, it's a state of mind. Okay. You look for evidence, you analyze the evidence, and then you draw conclusions about the world around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can get into why that's important for business in a second. Uh, but I was doing research in astrophysics. And uh, one important thing about that type of field is that we don't just study the stars, mm-hmm. we also study planets. And many of the tools that we use to study planets, we've actually turned them towards the Earth to try to figure out what's going on here. So global warming has been a theory for more than 100 years. It's not a new thing. More than 100 years ago, you see the first reports of carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. We're producing a lot. At some point, this could start heating up the Earth. So you were doing research on that? So I wasn't doing research on that. I was doing research on young stellar objects, basically looking at areas in the Milky Way where there aren't stars yet, but stars are about to form. So clouds of gas are starting to compress, and you can see it's called protostars or young stellar objects. And then maybe in millions of years from now, it will actually turn into a star. Yeah. That's a really Maybe less than millions. It depends a lot, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while. but a lot of the sensing techniques that we use, so what we were using to find these areas of the stars were uh, telescopes that are tuned to find carbon monoxide. Mm-hmm. So we find it out in the galaxy, yeah. and we can also turn those same, instead of having a telescope here looking out into the universe, you put that sensor on a satellite, and you, and you point it at the Earth. Okay. And now you can start to see like the concentration of greenhouse gases. Oh wow! So that I wasn't studying planetary science, mm-hmm. but the basic principles were from what I was doing were clearly applicable. And I asked one of my professors, like, "Well, you know, if we know this is happening, and the solution is relatively simple: solar power, wind power, tidal power, renewable energies. Mm-hmm. If the solution is really straightforward, simple, why are we doing it?" And his answer was. Um, well, it's basically the politics and the business side of things. Okay. It's no longer the science and engineering. It's more um, like the people, the willing other people to do and make the solution right. problems. So that's how I went from research in astrophysics to business school. Business school. Oh wow! Uh, it, it, it's a huge change. It's a huge, huge change. Um, and how did it work out? That like how was business school? Well, business school was really interesting because I, I did my MBA at Yonsei University, mm-hmm. which is one of the top business schools here in Korea. Yeah. Um, and I think an unfair criticism 
that I can make of my MBA. And I say that it's unfair because this is true of business school programs everywhere in the world. They were structured before the internet. Okay. You know, uh, business school is structured to teach people how to fill in middle layers of management mm -hmm. that as time goes by are needed less and less. Because now you can have the rank and file customer facing employees using electronic tools that report directly to company leadership. Yeah. And company leadership can also use these tools to communicate directly. To the so like the layers necessary to manage a large corporation are shrinking from seven to six to five, you know, maybe like three basically. Yeah, you know, so you shrinking like completely. You've got a leadership team of anywhere from 30 to 50 people all communicating to, you know, a group of a thousand to two thousand managers and then those people could communicate to, you know, something like 10,000 employees. <laughs> there you go. You learned it from that. So, I'm talking a little more about um, ArctiPod, like how ArctiPod started, your first startup. Well, now that I gave you the unfair criticism of okay. MBA, one of the wonderful things about doing a program like that is that in spite of the challenges in the formal curriculum, you get a lot of opportunities for interesting things. And Arctic Pod was a project that we started during our MBA program. Oh wow! So it was a pro school project coming to a real startup. Exactly. So we had a at that time there was a competition in Thailand. Mm -hmm. So one of our professors told us, um, or we got an email. I forget how we found out exactly, but the business school told us, mm -hmm. you know, there's a competition in Thailand at the Assassin School of Management, and if you guys, uh, if anybody from here applies and gets accepted you get your flight and your stay covered and you can be in Thailand for you know one week mm -hmm. interacting with people from all over Asia, pitching your company idea uh, and trying to see if you can start gathering resources. So the school was like super, super supportive of us at that time. That's a lot of support you got, like you pay everything, everything paid for going to the trip. Covering expense, so the local university covered like the program, staying. we stayed in their dorms and Yonsei covered for us to go there plus you know, the professors were giving yeah. us like feedback and advice. And, like, but also, yeah, I also think that's the most important. You get a real experience um, with the persons on the field that give you like good feedback for you to develop your idea. Right. And don't forget, 90% of the value is actually your teammates, right? Um, and uh, so, so, so the fact that, so this is why, you know, the business school, again, it was an unfair criticism because if the school does a good job in bringing in a good group of people, that's the people that make your career. The MBA program is two years, mm -hmm. but the relationships that you build there last, last mm -hmm. a lifetime. Marta Alina, she we were classmates at Yonsei. Oh yeah. One of the reasons we're having this conversation, conversation right now. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good connections you have there. <laughs> um, so university networks are really important. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, anyways. The uh, we, we, we developed an idea, mm -hmm. and then from the idea, we developed we started developing a business case. Uh, and then after we graduated, we started to think this is something we could work on. We developed a patent, we filed a patent. We took an early prototype to Angel Haxel. Mm -hmm. There were like 400 people there, over I think something like 30 to 40 teams. Um, uh, 200 people maybe. Uh, it was about 30 to 40 teams, and we got we were the first place winners. 
and that gave us a chance to go pitch in Silicon Valley. So we developed an early version of a prototype, we developed a patent, we went to pitch in Silicon Valley. Um, and you just said, oh wow, and this brings mm -hmm. me to, and then why did it fail? Because yeah. none of that mattered. You know, mm -hmm. it's not enough to have a prototype and a patent and pitching in front of investors mm -hmm. if you don't have customers. Um, and one of the things that we never did uh, and that we could never find good information for on time is how do you develop a market entry strategy for something that doesn't exist in the market? Mm -hmm. And we just ended up spending a lot of time going to competitions and presentations and trying to get you know, yeah, um, support and all of this. And, um, and we could kind of keep on the train moving, but we were like, so what's the market opportunity? We didn't have any way to really assess it. And what happened after about a year and a half of trying to work on this project, um, I was a little bit frustrated. I had previously met the director of the Entrepreneurship Center at MIT in a conference here. And I was visiting Boston at the time uh, and I stopped by his office and we were chatting about this and I was like, you know what, I'm really frustrated because we're just kind of like, I feel that I'm just going through the motions mm -hmm. of making a startup, but I don't really understand, is there a market or not? And I don't really feel like I understand what it is that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And every time that we go to mentorship sessions and talks and everything, they don't talk about that. They just talk about doing a pitch and getting funding, right? Yeah. And he's like, you know, this is great. We have a team from South Korea representing the government, universities, corporations. It's a cohort program that they do at MIT mm -hmm. to build entrepreneurship ecosystems. He said, why don't you talk to them? Because if you can give them feedback about your experience as an entrepreneur and these things that you think are missing, then kind of like the reason why they are doing that program is to fill in these gaps. Okay. And... Uh, so I talked to the head researcher that was leading that project here, and we, we, we got along really well, and he actually asked me to join the team so that we would be traveling from Korea to, to Boston, Boston MIT to do the workshops, figure out what's going on, what's happening. Um, and um, on the very first trip, one of the things that they gave to us was the book that they use at MIT in one of their main courses for new technology ventures. It's uh, Disciplined Entrepreneurship. Disciplined Entrepreneurship by <laughs> Bill Allen. I really recommend this book. Okay. Because like I cracked it open, like day one, they are like, read this book because this is what we use. And a lot, it's not like 100% coverage, but a lot of the really big companies that have recently come out of MIT, at some point the founders took this class. Okay. And they say this class was, it helps. Helps. <laughs> it gives you problems. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I started, and I, and, and I kind of like started cracking the book open and I just flipped through it within like 20 minutes while the sessions were getting up and started. And I was like, oh my God, this is like everything that we haven't done that nobody has told us we should be doing. Oh wow. So it had already been like a year and a half. We had already spent money and all of that. And I came back to Seoul and I'm like, sat down with my team. We kind of cracked open the book. We're like, how long would it take us to do this? It would take us about six to seven months. How are we doing on market timing? We're already a year late. How are we doing on funding? We, you know, we're like, yeah. it's kind of like the market has moved 
we have to do fundraising because like we're not in a position we've we've yeah. gone through our personal funds and then uh, we feel now that we see what we should be doing we feel we've done none of this <laughs> so we feel that we're just not like like you like you you didn't use your time correctly we like, didn't use our time yeah correctly. that's what you feel like you imagined that, that that's, that's yeah. what we felt like that we hadn't been using our time correctly um, and so we just decided hey you know. We're all still friends. Mm -hmm. uh, we're all still gonna get along, and let's just everybody. We can all just move on. Yeah, move like, on and move on to the next thing, and you know, uh, kind of just, just take things take things forward to to, to to a different direction. So everybody, we all talked about it. We just kind of like we had never even incorporated because we never found a reason to incorporate. Right, we were just going through our personal fund. We're like we're lucky we didn't incorporate. We didn't take money from investors. We don't have any. Like, Mm -hmm. long-term outstanding yeah, like debt other than that's personal that's credit cards yeah. and, uh, and so we're like do we feel like we learned yes yeah. do we feel like we're in a better place yes do we feel that whatever we do now we have a good idea what we should do yes, yes. Right, cool you know and we just moved on but I think that's also super important because like when you started doing your first project like I think like nobody knows what they are doing like you need to go ahead and start doing things Right, right. I don't know if that's incorrect or correct. Like, I think you have to have a plan for it, but also you need to start doing things. And I think that was right. What you did with this project, you started doing things. Well, one one of the things that we learned at MIT um, that is really important is that that's true. Mm -hmm. That's generally true. You do want to have a very strong orientation towards action. Mm -hmm rather than analysis. Mm -hmm. um, but this doesn't mean that analysis is not important. Exactly. It doesn't mean that structure isn't important. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they've done very, very well at MIT is to provide that structure okay. so that people know, yes, just get started doing stuff, but get started doing stuff that is productive. Okay. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Because you can just do a lot of stuff. But then you're stuck in the same place. And then you, and yeah, exactly. You're, you're like, a, like a hamster, like a gerbil. Yeah. You know, just like stay there <laughs> running and running and you end up getting exhausted and you end up getting nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, and what they have done very well with their programs there is that you have no idea how to start. You know, it sounds like an advertisement. Buy Bill's book, read <laughs> chapter one, and it'll tell you, look, this is how you can get started. Your starting position is uh, one of three things. You either have a technology that you want to implement, mm -hmm. you have a problem that you want to solve, or you have, oh, what were the three things? Either a technology that you want to implement, a problem that you want to solve, or a business idea that you want to execute. So you have a technology, you don't know what the business or what the problem is. All right, fine. You know, start from there. So, and, and most people will start from one of these three things. I have an idea for a business that does X. I don't know what technologies I need. Um, I know customers, they have a problem. I don't know about that. You know, one of these three things yeah. is usually the place where most people start. Uh, and then no matter where of these three things are, immediately you have to start turning towards the market. And you have to, before you start building and developing and making plans, you have to start thinking, who is your customer? Mm -hmm. Go find them, verify. If you, if you think they have a problem, validate it. If you don't know what problem they should have, then go to figure it out. Figure out and validate it. Building technology and building products for the sake of building them on their own because 
they are nice and fancy and technologically advanced um, does not guarantee success. But solving a marketable problem, mm-hmm. you know, this means that it's not just one person that has this problem. One person represents a group of people, mm-hmm. right? That represent the problem. You go and you solve the problem for that one person. That's your first customer. Now that you know that this problem, you find 10 people like them, solve that problem for them. Now that you solved it for 10, now you can solve for 100. And now you solve for 1,000. And you start building your, your market. And unfortunately, <laughs> when we were going to a lot of these competitions and sponsoring programs or whatever, they don't start with finding one and then 10 and then 100. They start with, show us how you're going to get 10,000. Straight out. Up and to the right. Exactly. Uh, I don't want to hear that. This is what you need to do for me. You need to show me on a slide a hockey puck, a hockey stick program. Yeah, like this. That's this all they care about. They skip slides one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That can be, they just want like storytelling, a narrative. Ah, up and to the right. I like it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they skip that entire process where you don't have enough data to know what the growth cur- curve could look like. Yeah, because but you, you are validating between one. You found 10, one, you found 10. You can't find 10, go back and reconsider yeah. how you change how you things, you know? To find more. And, and, and that's something that they do very, very well for companies that grow to be incredibly huge. Um, it's really important for them to uh, start, you know, one step at a time. Okay. so. With all this, you have told me how Startup Library started. So Startup Library, going back to the book, I was like, this book is great, people should read it. You know? Yeah. Um, so when I opened that website, I figured I'm just going to get a good set of books. Mm-hmm. Because I opened the book and I was like, oh my god, this is something we haven't done. And I think if people just read this yeah. book, it'll solve a lot of the problems. Um, and so the first version of Startup Library, I just kind of like, you know, 10 books that cover... I looked at MIT's curriculum. Mm-hmm. You know, something that I had noticed at that time is that if you recommend people a hundred books, it just doesn't help. Yeah, you don't have time to read all of that. So I figured I'm gonna find like ten books that cover as much as possible of like MIT's entrepreneurship curriculum that they had shared with us. So it's like if you read these ten books, you'll get an idea comprehensively. Of what the MIT things you need to be doing. It, obviously, it won't cover the whole curriculum because the yeah. curriculum is like dozens of classes with a lot of details. But at least it'll give you kind of like you know, if MIT gives you a black belt, at least you've got a white belt, right? <laughs> and at least you know what kind of help you should be looking mm-hmm. for, and you know what kind of things you should be looking out for. Um, so that was a, that. That was what what startup library uh, we came at that time. Okay. It was just like this kind of uh, collection of of, of books. In the meantime, I had already been working with startups mm-hmm. directly, and I had already been doing some kind of, you know, coaching and educational programs for startups as well. So I worked with one company in media and entertainment. I helped them to recruit a team. In the process that I was there, I helped them raise angel funding, uh, and then I recruited the team that got them to their seed round of funding. Uh, so. This company ended up raising about a million dollars. Unfortunately, the company didn't do so well Mm -hmm. uh, because there was basically team conflict. Team conflict? It comes down to team conflict. Okay. Another issue. Another fact, yeah, and this is a fact. uh, Most companies fail because of team conflict, Mm -hmm. not because of market or technology or fundraising. 
usually team conflict that, that brings companies down. Yeah, I was talking about with another, this is the first um, podcast we did, and he told me that, Miroslav, you met him today, yeah. that with his co-founder, they had an amazing relationship, and that really worked really well, and helped to develop the first startup. Right. And I think that's a really important aspect for any startup, like having a really good team. Absolutely. Like, probably you know how to do things, like technology, market, customer, sales, whatever, finance, but you have to have like, this relationship between the people so you can work it out and like go forward. So what's interesting about that is that uh, the team is probably the most important thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, if you, the holy grail of a startup is the product market fit. Mm -hmm. But for those, those things can be in whatever state they are in. You can have a terrible product market fit, but if you have a great team, the team will fix it. Okay. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> On the other hand, you can have amazing product market fit, and that's what happened at this company. We had an amazing product market fit. I couldn't see how we wouldn't be able to do it insanely well. But the team wasn't properly set up. There was conflict within the leadership, so it didn't matter that the market opportunity was there and that we had the right product for the market. Because the team wasn't there and wasn't functioning, the market just moved away, then other people executed on the idea better. And they got the market yeah. and they failed. Any product market fit that you can find, chances are somebody else will eventually find it. Mm -hmm. And whoever does well and enters that market, it's based on the team. Yeah. Do they have the right skills? Do they have the right coordination? Mm -hmm. uh, what is it? This is a professor from Harvard. He calls it the three R's. Uh, roles, rewards, responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Do they have the right roles? Do they have the responsibilities? And are they properly rewarded? Mm -hmm. You miss out on one of these three things, and the team is not going to have stability. Okay, so the team fails. The team, okay. the team fails. Mm -hmm. The other company that I work with during this time is called Nori. They are an educational company. Okay. They do um, edu uh, mathematics education okay. for school-aged children, and at that time they were selling mostly to uh, the American schools. Mm -hmm. So I helped them to build their recording studio. I recorded 800 math lessons for them. Um, That's a lot of time for recording. And I wasn't directly involved in fundraising, but I was directly involved in the content delivery. Mm -hmm. And I helped the CEO of a company at that time make a demo video. Uh, even yeah, like a video. And with that, the company was the winner of the New York City Department of Education's Gap App Challenge. Shortly after that, the company raised $8 million. Wow. And then last year, it was acquired. So it's kind of like a successful it's acquisition. Success. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of like, it's, it's a little bit great to be able to reflect back. Mm -hmm. And of course, I mean, I was there for you know, less than a year, mm -hmm. something like seven months. But I did help out on, on an integral part of the, the, the yeah. content delivery. Last time I had checked with them a couple of years ago, they said that they were still using, you know, more or less the same system, system that I had set up. They probably updated a lot by now, right? But <laughs> uh, the, the basic idea was, was was still there. So it's really good to be able to contribute to a company like that. And then what's the difference between one and the other? The team. <laughs> yeah. So in this case... So uh, what's the core difference? What do you think was the biggest issue with the first team that failed? And what was it like the biggest like amazing thing the other team has um, that made them success? Like, so what do you think? I think at the end of the day, when it comes to the team, the team will respond to leadership. Mm -hmm. 
And if the leadership acts with integrity, transparency, and with focus, then they will be able to recruit the right people onto the team and give them the right things to do. Yeah, okay. Like, you can never ever blame the employees for, like, you can, you, you can, it's their responsibility. So it comes down, it comes down to leadership. And yeah. uh, with the first company, unfortunately, uh, there were issues um, with, 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 with leadership, with, with leadership, with uh, transparency, people knowing what's going on, okay. uh, and with market orientation. We have this inventory of product to sell. Are we doing everything we can to sell it? Or are we spending our marketing budget on other things? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so the the that first company at the end of the day, the the, the budget was not converting into. It, look, it's really really simple. Do you have money? Are you spending that money? And are you turning it into sales? Mm-hmm. Everything that you spend money on should do one of two things: building the product, selling the product. As a startup, you need very, very light on support infrastructure. As the company gets bigger, there are other functions that come into play, mm-hmm. such as human resource management, facilities, yeah. IT systems, all of that. But when you've got a company of three to five people, everybody should be either building the product or selling the product. And chances are that everybody is doing a little bit of both, <laughs> right? <laughs> so those white people say like, oh, in this time you'll learn a lot because you're doing like um, and, and I'd say that this is a very easy binary distinction between these two. Mm-hmm. And the first one, the leadership was not focused on building and selling the product, and the second one, they were. Mm-hmm. And this is a world of a difference in, in the type of uh, leadership and what this does, the way that this is manifested through the rest of the organization when they know, I know where we are, I know what we need to do, and I know how my role fits in. Okay. And then everybody moves in. One direction. one direction, like everything fits and it works perfectly, I guess. And then the leadership doesn't have like, like the vision or if we want to sell this or not. But also, the, the employees they will know what to do, they will be right. lost. So, it's being lost, not being able to know what to do, and transparency really matters. Mm-hmm. And knowing that, because uh, with a startup, there's always going to be uncertainty. In the face of uncertainty, is leadership looking out for me? If you feel, I don't know what's going on, but company leadership is looking out for me, you put your time in. Yeah, to follow it and <laughs> you're like, yeah. I think this is going to be good and I know that I don't know a lot, but trust. Yeah, I trust this guy, I trust this people. I trust that they will do right by me if I give them my time, my energy, and my talent. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's a combination of those two things because if you do have a good market orientation, a good strategy, but leadership is not transparent, then you also start to see a lot of problems. Yeah, like people don't trust you and like turnover starts to increase yeah. and the whole company starts to really slow down. It's still possible to be successful. There's a lot of companies that have been successful with management that is not like the greatest, but if you look at what that meant for like the lifestyle and the rewards that the employees that did the brunt of the work, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> a lot of people want to do <laughs> So, so tell me, um, right now um, with Lighthouse, um, how is that working? How, like the workshop and the clinics you're doing to help um, entrepreneurs and startups? Well, so what, what, we, what we realized was um, that what we realized uh, about, I think it was about a year and a half ago, was that uh, 
you cannot just even if you do your best to condense a list of books into the smallest group of books that people could read and kind of get an idea one they don't always have time to read even that much mm -hmm. you know like how many books have you read so far this year two yeah and ten, <laughs> ten. <laughs> you need to read ten and you need to read them in like two to three months yeah, okay. um and this like this two in the whole book. yeah and, and besides if you have time to read i don't know maybe you should be reading something fun yeah like, you know, <laughs> work, work, work. people need to have a life and yeah. <laughs> in your reading time maybe there's other things that you could be doing so what what we what we did uh what we realized there was that we had a um we had should we wait for the it's the uh, oh, I mean, yeah okay. uh, it's a, i mean you can yeah we can do this a lot just, just cut it <laughs> Um, okay, so let, 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 let me just go back a little bit. Okay. So, so yeah, you, were ha you had the 10 books from um, Startup Library. Right. So you, you, you had the 100 books kind of to 10. Yeah, I was like, how could we reduce this to 10 and be like, let's just have a very short list of books. Mm -hmm. But people don't have time. And the other thing is that they don't have context. Okay. So one reason why the book that they wrote at MIT works very well is because that book is not read in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. That book is read in a class. Mm -hmm. And the people who don't take the class know someone who did take the class. Mm -hmm. And there's this type of, when you have a group of people that are creating a, you call it like a behavioral reinforcement. So anybody that didn't read the book, they jump in, hey, what problem are you having? And someone that did read the book tells them, jump to this page, here you go. <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, the book is not here anyways, let me explain to you what, what you're dealing with. Uh, and so that, that, that behavioral reinforcement out of a community of people that share values, share skills, and share the type of market, the type of companies that they're trying to build at MIT, they build technology companies. Mm -hmm. um, that part is missing, so you can't just be like, here's a book, read it, and have a good time. I tried that a couple of times, people were like, I, I kind of read it, and I tried to, but I just really don't get it. How do I do this? Mm -hmm. So, out of the idea that to really have a community of entrepreneurs and innovators that are doing, and it really does go down to, to, to that thing of, Focusing your a great team on focus on, on the market, right? And developing a product to deliver to that market. That's really what that book itself comes down to. And to really build a community of people, you need to do more than recommend the book. Mm -hmm. You need to build programs, you need to build events, you need to build a sense of, of community. And uh, so that's how we ended up at Lighthouse. And we are developing, the, the main offering is a subscription. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which yeah, is I saw like sufficient relatively yeah. low cost at thirty five dollars a month, and the reason that we did that instead of doing it free is because we've tried to do things free before. But if you're doing it free, you need to get funding from somewhere else, mm -hmm. and getting funds from government or universities or corporations is not easy. Yeah, it takes exactly. time exactly. and energy and effort, mm -hmm. and then they are the ones that become the customer, and the people in the free program become like the product. Yeah. Kind of like what Facebook yeah. is the Google does. Yeah. It's like you get it for the free, product that you, you sell, the and then the people who are funding the program place all of the conditions on the type of company and the type of market orientation that they want. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had tried those type of programs before, and what we settled on this year is let's just do straight to consumer. 
we do a subscription, they pay for it, it's relatively accessible. Yeah. You know, $35. Right. Per month that, is okay. Yeah, that, that's okay. And that's much cheaper if you consider your time that it would take you to get accepted into an acceleration program mm -hmm. where the mentors may or may not be the greatest fit, right? Yeah. Uh, so the subscription includes uh, videos that I'm recording. So my own lessons of all of my lessons learned, <laughs> getting into the details of what is the difference between these two type of companies we talked about yeah. and how can you be like the good type of company. A team that is organized, focusing on building a product that addresses a market need and making sure that you're going through the process of actually selling and marketing the product. So uh, the videos cover that and the subscription includes access to a moderated community where people can ask questions, they can build teams, ask for help. Some of the people that join our subscription don't want to be an entrepreneur, they want to work for a startup. Mm -hmm. So the entrepreneurs and the potential employees they have enough resources and they can ask me, hey, I wanna hire, I've known a lot of startups that tried to hire an intern because they really like it and then suddenly they freeze up because I don't know what to tell this person to do. Yeah. I don't know what I should be doing and it just really slows down. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, in the forum, you know, they can yeah. ask us and, uh, we hold, so we also hold clinics in person. Mm -hmm. uh, these are for like subscribers only. So if you're a subscriber, uh, we hold clinics once a month and that just costs an extra 10 bucks, which basically covers the room cost where you can say like, hey, we're trying to work on this yeah. and I need your help. So we do marketing clinics for entrepreneurs and career clinics for the job seekers. Speaking of which, we have a career clinic coming up on Friday yeah, and we're actively forwarding people who are taking our course who have a resume to the startups that I'm also working with. Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 we don't just do job ads and we don't just do training. Mm -hmm. We actually work on oh, connecting both them. sides of the market and provide support to the connection mm -hmm. with content and consultation and like that. Oh, wow. And um, with the talks you have with um, um, entrepreneurs that are also working with you, what are the biggest issues they face or the biggest problems they face? Well, the biggest problems we faced was, you know, speaking of you build a company to solve a problem, that was the influence behind whole companies. The biggest problem they face is that they have, especially in Korea, they have great technology. In Korea, people don't need too much help yeah. with technology. Science, engineering, manufacturing here is it's top notch. Yeah. But this feeling that we were talking about, I'm not sure what to do next. And where I was five years ago, where we've got a patent, we've got a product, we're winning competitions, everybody's telling you that it should be awesome. And then just somehow feeling like, I don't know what I really should be doing with my business. And I don't know how to prove the market. I don't know how to validate it. I do a business model, but I know I'm just making stuff up and nobody tells me how to stop making stuff up. Yeah. Um, and that's what I find with a lot of the entrepreneurs that I'm working with is that uh, they have a great product, they have a good market, they think they have good product market fit. Mm -hmm. When I work with entrepreneurs, they usually already have their product developed and I need to focus helping them on sales and marketing. Yeah, like market developed, business development. So what would be the, the, the biggest tip to give them about market develop or like business develop? Like what can be like this thing they need to be doing like since day one, like for someone who's starting? Sales and marketing. Sales and marketing, and sales and marketing is not a one-way street mm -hmm. where you make up your mind what you want to sell and you force it down people's throats. You have to have an idea of what you want to sell. You need to put it out there. You need to get feedback from the market and adjust your feature set. You need to adjust your pricing 
so that it fits the market in the way that they want to purchase it. And once you've done that, you're not done. You need to actively sell. Most startups that get past these team issues face a lot of trouble because they're not actively selling. Hey, are you doing your marketing campaign? Oh, I really don't have time. What do you mean you don't have time? The only thing you have time for if your product is ready is to do sales and marketing. You have to, you have to do sales and marketing. And I think that for technology companies, uh, and for a lot of companies here in Korea that are not really a technology company for other services, mm -hmm. uh, there's this bad thing, I think, uh, Paul Graham from Y Combinator said at one point, great companies that build great products don't need to do sales and marketing because it's so great that it sells itself. That's way wrong. Yeah, you need to do sales and marketing. The reason why that might have worked for some Y Combinator companies is because Y Combinator is doing a lot of marketing for them. <laughs> do you see so, what I mean? Yeah, so they don't need to do marketing so, for themselves. But eventually they need to learn how to do marketing for themselves at the initial stage, just like... Yeah, they help them, but they, they, help them they need lot, to do it. But, but at, it has to be a component that is there, right? Um, and, uh, and, and so companies really need to be doing this. They, they really need to be actively doing uh, sales, sales and marketing. Okay, and like for example, for a Korean company that that's here and they want to expand, expand to international um, business, what they should do, like, like because you say like they have like these amazing products, but like hire people from the country they want to expand to. There's tons of international students here. It is the the, the visa process right now mm -hmm. is not the easiest. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of restrictions. Yeah, for early stage startups, it's close to impossible to hire a foreign employee. But once your startup has five people, you've hit the quota and you can start hiring foreign employees. Mm -hmm. Internships, you can hire students, students that are doing a master's degree or in some cases bachelor's degree in Korea. They usually, they normally get permission with some requirements to do an internship for your company. And I think that a lot of the companies here that want to go overseas, they spend way too much time and energy trying to get government funds to travel instead of being like, how much money do we need? 10,000 won per hour. Let me go find an intern that can work 15 hours a week running social media marketing campaigns in the native language targeting that region mm -hmm. and generating the demand that you need, especially when it comes to consumer products. Yeah, you need to create the yeah. demand. You need to know the customers. Create the demand. If your product is not ready or there's some trick to selling, at least create demand by showing that you have an audience in that country okay. through social media campaigns. And and, for, and that's a really good thing. Like because many of probably the audience have ideas. They want to do this product. They want to sell like this idea or something. Um, how you start creating like this um, demand? Like how you start knowing them that you have a market? Like how you discover it? Uh, I'll give you the short advice to that because I received it from a sales seminar uh -huh. is uh, you have to be interesting that's 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 the short of it which I know is not a very practical thing to yeah, tell you go. hey just be an interesting person the longer answer to that is that you have to start from somewhere and sometimes that somewhere is just brute force. Go on social media, in the language of your target market, mm -hmm. start publishing who you are, what your product is, 
start trying to get a reaction, an interaction from people from that country. Once you start doing that, start running paid advertisements targeting that country. And, when, and you will see that some people will start, if nobody interacts with you, mm -hmm. well now you know that what you're doing is not interesting to them. Yeah, and they don't want it. They don't want it. Yeah. Now, keep it, well, keep in mind, mm -hmm. there's a difference between they don't want it versus they don't want it from you. You're, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Okay. Maybe they want it, but you are not being interesting enough. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I think that, that, that's a distinction to be made. Now you know they don't want it from you, so you have to choose, are we not being interesting enough, or does the market not exist? Mm -hmm. And that is something that right now I can't tell you. We'd have to look at a practical case, yeah, we'd have to look at some of the data, to but see what roughly speaking, if people are asking you questions, telling you they kind of like it, but they don't understand, that means you're not being clear and interesting enough. Mm -hmm. If you're getting zero reaction over a period of time, that means that you are way too confusing, or that they just really don't want it. Um, and then, but the point is, let's assume you start getting some reaction. Get on a video call. Hey, we have this product that's available in Korea and we're thinking to bring it to your home country. What do you think? Do you like it? If your product is something that is right for the country, mm -hmm. Korea can ship anywhere in the world. You need to have a presence in that country. Yeah. People will pay the shipping fee for something that they like. They like it, they want it, they don't have reasonable alternatives in their own country that look just like this. Some people will pay the addition, I mean, it's like an extra, what, 10 to 20 bucks. Yeah, people will pay it. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that people should be a little bit cautious by trying to go too global, too international from day one, but pick a couple of target markets and start interacting with people even before your product is ready to go. Get pre-orders, get presets. And I think that's something difficult for many startups, like, or the thinking of the founder, like how I can sell something that's not there yet. And that's, I think, like a mindset like people need to, to break out. They need to break out. Yeah, because in my mind, like, how I sell something that's not there, like how can I sell you this book if I don't have the book? If you're interesting enough, you will sell it. You will do pre-sales. The book is not ready. Look, concert tickets. Yeah. When you go to a concert, do you pay at the door? No, you pay before. Do you pay a week after the concert? No. You pay like they announce it before, before anything is set up for the concert, between the venue, everything. The only thing they have is the contract with the artist. Yeah. Tickets go on sale. <laughs> right? <laughs> Customers will pay for things before they happen yeah. because they, they it's like interesting it. and they, like, they, they, trust the, they trust that the person will do their best to deliver. Also, right. I think like crowdfunding um, campaigns also can be a good example for that. Right. Like yeah, crowdfunding yeah, campaigns. Yeah, like people developing products right. from scratch and people start paying them even before they develop. And keep in mind, some kind of crowdfunding like Kickstarter, mm -hmm. that is something that you could just straight up do on your own website without doing it through Kickstarter. Pre-sales. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, the best source of funding for your startup is not from investors, it's from your own customers. And by the way, less than 1% of the companies that ever get started ever get money from investors. So chances are that if you want to make it, you better learn to get money from your customers. Yeah. And the companies that get the best terms from investors are the companies that have enough revenues so they can turn and they say, I don't need your money, I would just like your support. Instagram, they got $500,000 from Sequoia. That was all they ever got from investors. They never actually used it. 
wow. ended with a one billion dollar plus acquisition. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. Cisco, the networking yeah, company, they started straight up revenue, straight up sales from customers. That's how they started, and they ended up getting investment from uh, Sequoia as well, mm -hmm. and they never used the money. When you're negotiating with investors, it comes down to your bargaining power. Mm -hmm. How much do you need them? How much do they need you? Yeah. They need to put their money to work in good companies. And good companies are the ones that show that they have a sales trajectory. They have a revenue already. Yeah, so, so the best position you could ever put yourself, weather is really simple. You may want VCs, you may not want VCs. In either of those two situations, whichever one you go for, your bargaining position and your eventual outcome mm -hmm. is optimized if you over sales, <laughs> right? Yeah. And if you can fund as much as you can of your operations through, through, through sales. Apple, they went for sales. They, yeah. like, their very first computer, they hacked it together. If you ever look for a picture, it looks almost like spare parts. And that's <laughs> what they sold. And they went for sales and people bought it. And they went for sales and all of the investment piled on at a later time. They just went straight up for sales. We have something we could sell. And they were able to put themselves in a position where they were making the conditions to everybody else that wanted to join. Perfect, Mario. Uh, thank you for the, all this time. Uh, anything else you want to say about any tips you can give the audience or um, the last comment? Well, I think that you know the, the, the last comment that I would make is that just to, a little bit to summarize everything that I was saying is that people get sucked up into the startup environment. Um, and they start following what other people think they should be doing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of entrepreneurs or people who want to join startups, they should decide for themselves, what do I want to do? What is my strategy? Do I want to make a company? Do I want to get a job? Do I want to get investment? Do I want to make do without investors? Do I want to start in this country? Or do I want to? Don't do it based off of expectations of other people choose what you want to do. Because it's hard enough, so you better be able to see concrete goals out of it. So instead of doing the things difficult, you need to be like in your own comfort, like place or your own that. Keep in mind, they yes and no because it's not going to be comfortable. Yeah, anyways, like the, whole thing, yeah, the whole experience is not going to be comfortable, but like it's, it is going to be. Make up your mind what your yeah, goals are, like on your own terms. On your own terms, you prepare yourself and put yourself in a position where you can be doing things on your own terms. Choose your customers. If you develop something that is valuable enough, you'll have the opportunity to choose what kind of customers you need to be doing. But perfect, all these tips will help a lot of people. Thanks. Like also. And definitely read the book. Look for his website, amazing person. Yeah. Lighthouse.ac. Yeah, I will put like in the comments and somewhere there. Yeah. But thank you for your time. Yep. Thank you for everything, Mario. Really awesome. I appreciate it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Perfect. Lunch time. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Oh, you're really well.